0: Welcome to the Whole Point Podcast, all about guest conversations and our personal thoughts about big ideas that will elevate your life and change your mind.
1: We're talking about how to bring them into your business, your family, and your real life, and what that looks like day to day on any random Tuesday. I'm Christy Bartelt, a quirky, wise mentor helping women confidently love themselves and change their lives and their minds.
0: I'm Serena Talbot, and I'm passionate about helping people heal and accomplish their goals, bringing spirituality and intuition into the process so that people can move forward with the life they are created to live. Thanks for joining us.
1: All right, everybody. Welcome to the podcast. We are super excited to be coming back with a guest today on a topic that's actually something that Serena and I talk about a lot offline um, and we've really wanted to bring to the podcast to share with you, which is this idea of toxic Christianity. More than an idea, it's actually a thing, a real thing that is ready to be dealt with. And we are going to
0: start that conversation today. Joe Lumen is a Colombian born and raised pastor with a master's degree in ministry and theology. Alongside her partner, she started The Living Room, a house church and nonprofit reimagining faith and Christianity and inviting people to reclaim their own spaces as holy ground and safe havens in our communities. Joe speaks and teaches about decolonizing church theology, spirituality, and faith, as well as the importance of dismantling white supremacy, patriarchy, and capitalism, both individually and collectively. No big deal. Just no. dismantling <laughs> the Just whole thing. Just another Tuesday. <laughs> I love it's, it's, it. It's light
2: work. It's light work.
1: <laughs> Welcome to the show, Joe. We're so excited to have you.
2: I am so excited to be here. I am. I am really excited to have this conversation, and thank you so much for inviting me.
1: And tell us and our audience where you're talking to us from today.
2: I am in the playroom of my home in San Diego. Um, The playroom is the brightest room and the quietest room in my house. So I work a lot from here, which my kids don't
0: appreciate. (laughs) So where do they have to be when you're in the
1: playroom? If
2: I have like a podcast or I am having a call, my husband takes them out on a walk. So they are getting ready to go on a walk right now. Yeah, it's perfect.
1: I have to say though, I think I'm just gonna start calling my office the playroom because when you said it, I was like, oh, that sets a stage. Like I'm just <laughs> playing today. I'm just here showing up. Yeah. Um so you know, there's so much going on in the world today. I mean, we went from pandemic to okay, let's deal with let's deal with racial injustice in America and then also globally. But I think what is really important for all of us to keep in mind is kind of a bit of how are we maintaining our own energy and self care. So Joe, in the middle of all of this, everything that's going on, what is a part of your daily routine or something that's adding a little more self care and self love for you right now?
2: I I have to be so intentional about this because of the nature of my work. I have to be very intentional about uh, um, infusing my days with joy. So we we put our kids to bed together, my husband and I. And we don't follow any of the rules, you know, we lay with them, we snuggle them, we kiss them, we read extra books. And after we do that, after we put them to bed and we snuggle them and kiss them, my son has this thing where he says, mas besos, more kisses. And he, every time he says it, I have to give him a kiss. So
1: mm-hmm.
2: all of that, uh, the, night, the night routine, and then right after my husband and I usually have a glass of sangria and talk about our day and talk about how we're doing, and kind of check with each other. And that's my favorite part of the day.
0: Oh, that love sounds
2: is. lovely. How old it are is. your kids? I have a seven-year-old, a six-year-old, a three and a, a four, I'm sorry, four and a half year old. And then I have a one-year-old
1: baby. So mm. just, just things are easy there. They're just like real <laughs> easy. I have an eight-year-old boy and then an, I have a 10-year-old as well, but it's such a fun age. I love it, it when they start getting kind of more independent and. My seven-year-old just,
2: will be eight soon. And Uh, Gosh, getting to know her, we, we, you know, spend a lot of one-on-one time and she's just so fun to talk to and her ideas and her mind is just expanding in amazing ways. So it is a fun age.
0: Who asked for more kisses? Which, which one? Oh,
2: that's my son. He's four and a half. Four and a half. Yeah. He's my only boy. And he, he and I have a very particular relationship where, you know, we just, we love each other a lot.
1: There's something about moms and boys. There's just something really <laughs> special about that. I didn't realize it until he I was had boys. He was supposed to be
2: my youngest. Um, <laughs> he was the last one. So we, we, when my husband and I were dreaming our life, we said, two girls and a boy. That's what we want. And I thought it was going to be a boy and two girls. That's what we wanted, a boy and two girls. But then it was two girls and the boy. And he was to be my youngest, my last. And I really was able to savor him because I had left my job at the church. And um, so that plays a lot of you know, into it. I, I savored him as a child. My pregnancy completely differently than I did with the girls.
1: Mm-hmm. Okay, so it, it could be light. It could be something that you're finding educational right now. But what is a book, a show, a movie, or something that you have seen or read recently that's really made an impact on you?
2: I I watched a movie just a couple of days ago. It's a light-hearted, cute movie called The Half of It. Um, about this Chinese teenager living in rural Washington who gets hired by a football player to write love letters to his crush. Um, And it just turns out that it's her crush too. And so there is all of these different things that are happening between her being an immigrant and her being gay and not closeted too. And um, this football guy who ends up kind of liking the Chinese girl. And it just gets complicated but it's sweet and light-hearted and funny and they it, brilliant conversation uh so it, it was a a beautiful sweet movie to talk about kind of deep issues too but we loved it we laughed my husband cried he cries I, I don't cry a lot uh, <laughs> right, yeah he laughing. cried and I laughed a lot and it was really sweet and then book the the last book I read uh, was the book of unknown americans it's a B- novel. The Book of
1: Unknown Americans.
2: Mm-hmm. Yeah, it's a, it's a novel and it's absolutely heartbreaking. So this is not light or heartwarming at all. It's a really deep, painful story about immigrants in America and about Mexican family with a disabled daughter living in Delaware.
1: Mm -hmm. Well, and today, I mean, speaking of immigrants in America, we did finally get a bit of good news today. I don't know if you've seen the Supreme Court ruling on the DREAMers, the DACA, and basically saying no to what Trump was trying to do, which was... Yeah, it's
2: really, really good news. We have still a lot of work to move forward, but really exciting that they don't have to worry about their status here.
1: Right. Yeah. Okay. So... Let's let's jump in. Let's talk about toxic Christianity.
0: Yes, Joe, <laughs> I love you because you're coming against the church really strongly, but you're in a church. You're a pastor, and you haven't given up on that idea. And I think that's so valid because it's easy to come against something and just hate it and rant against it and be apart from it. But you're in it, and you're you're a powerful voice against it. Also. To change it, and you know that's what you are doing with your with your own church is you're creating the system how it should be, and not even a system, but this organism. Um, and you lived you lived it. You're not railing against something you have no idea about. You've lived it. I know some of our listeners have been there in in one way or another who will be listening to this or are still in it and your voice is so freeing from everything that that I've read and listened to and heard from you so thank you for that first of all and then I want you to please share your story of how you got to this place where you're dismantling white supremacy and colonialism and really the American church
2: well I grew up in Colombia and all of Latin American countries, we have such a deep, there, there is this deep Christianity is running through all of our history. Um, not all of our history, but the last 500 years at least. So all of us, whether we are Christians or not, in, in Latin America and here in the United States too, all of us have had these narratives of Christianity. Uh, we've all been indoctrinated into these, belief, these Christian beliefs, whether we identify as Christian or not, because we don't even realize how deeply connected Christianity is with the way society functions today in most of the West. So grew up in Colombia, then, you know, America was the place to come study, to be a pastor. Of course, that's what I was told. And so I graduated college in Colombia and then moved here to get my master's degree and do an internship at a church. And I've always had questions, you know, because it's different for a a woman that comes from Colombia to think about Christianity than it is from, from someone of European descent, and one of the first questions that I always had, it, this was as a teenager, was, I wonder if my ancestors are in heaven. I wonder if these indigenous people, um, which m- my ancestors are the Muisca, Chipcha people of Colombia, the people from El Dorado, the, you know, the, mm-hmm. the, the, the city of gold. Yes. Yeah. So those are my ancestors. And I kept thinking, I wonder if they are in heaven. And I remember at one point in school, this is college you know garnering up all the courage I could to ask this question I wonder if my ancestors are in heaven that's something I struggle with and Nietzsche, who was also a pastor said well God reveals himself through more than just the Bible God can reveal himself through nature so maybe we don't know you know God is bigger we don't know and then I thought well then why don't we teach them <laughs> then why did colonizers have to come why is it good that they came because the doctrine of discovery which says that colonizers came here and this was the land that God gave them because they were the chosen people, and it's good because they got to evangelize and they got to proselytize indigenous people. Well, it wasn't good. We lost all of our history. We lost all of our culture. We were demonized. We were told we weren't, our, our history, our, our beliefs, the way that we did life, the way that, that, the way that we engaged with one another, even the way that we did family, the clothes that we wore or didn't wear were wrong. So I was like, well, if God can reveal himself, and I like himself in quotation marks, through nature, then why do we proselytize? And because Christians always have answers and we like to jump through hoops. (laughs) Always. (laughs) The pastor said, well, because then we guarantee they are in heaven. You can't guarantee it through nature. I'm like, but isn't nature way more expensive, bigger? How can this all-knowing, all-powerful, all- all you know, omniscient, omnipresent, omnipotent God be so limited that nature is not enough. We need colonizers. And so this was me. (laughs) (laughs) Yes, yes. Make him sign the thing, you know, blood (laughs) pact. And I thought this doesn't make sense to me, but I was too young to the tools or anything to go against my authority figures I just thought I just don't understand I'm too young and too immature to understand these I just have to trust my authority my authority figure but the questions never ceased I became a pastor I got my master's degree I worked I I got I have this obsessive thing where if I'm into something I'm like fully into it like I dive all in and I have to read all the books and do all the things so I did that with Christianity I, I read all the books and did all the things and then I had more questions and mm. The way in which the church behaved, the way in which I behaved as a pastor, the way in which we did community, didn't make sense at all. It just, it didn't, you know, we were more concerned with a brand, the brand of Christianity than we were concerned with a people, the people of God, which is everyone. Yeah. We were more concerned with the community of Christians, the, the, the small one, than the community of humans, all of us. And, and things just didn't make sense. And in the process of all of that, I was also in a very toxic church. The, the church where I was working was very toxic, very abusive, uh, because most of our theology is abusive. So you cannot have a non-abusive church with toxic theology. Um, this idea that the pastor knows best, the hierarchy of, of um, belief the hierarchy of acceptability inside the church. If you do all of these things, you're more acceptable in them. Mm -hmm. Um, The the pastor is the man of God. He's the anointed man of God, which aren't we all anointed. So all of these things just got more and more uncomfortable. And I started asking the questions out loud, uh, which always gets you ostracized. I was going to say, how did that go? (laughs) Terribly. It went terribly. It gets you always ostracized in in toxic spaces. So it got to a place where my husband and I knew we had to leave. Like there was no, you know, I try, I tried to change. I tried to ask the questions to get us all to be introspective and, and perhaps do better for the community. It didn't happen. You know, I just became the bitter person that was just angry and that the, the pastor kept insisting that I had some bitterness that I, that was unaddressed. He was like, I, "If I feel like you have some bitterness against me that you just um. haven't addressed. And I'm like, well, it's not against you. It's more against like the way we do Christianity, but sure.
1: I mean It's not it's not me. You keep saying it's me, but it must be you. That kind right. of response. Yes. Yeah. Yes.
2: And the, you're just immature. You just don't get it. You just need to keep staying under our care, you know, under our umbrella of authority and you'll be fine. Well, I did that for ten years and I wasn't fine. I actually kept getting worse and worse and worse and I started having suicidal ideation because I, I couldn't believe that if you just give yourself to God completely, if you are completely you can be this miserable and things can just make this little sense. I was miserable. I hated parenting inside of the Christian world, this deep commitment to obedience. Obey isn't even in the, I don't know if you knew this, but obey isn't even in the Bible, in the Old Testament. There, The word obey doesn't exist. It's not there because that's not the work. The work is to listen. Every mm. time you see obey, really the word is listen, mm. not obey, So the word that's is to big. listen, to listen to our inner intuition, to listen to ourselves, to listen to God within, right? what Christians mm-hmm. call the Holy Spirit. That's the work. But yeah. the commitment to obedience, 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 it's oppressive. You can't breathe. And I couldn't, I couldn't breathe. So I, I decided I had to go. So we left, we visited a lot of churches. It was two years of us visiting churches and uh, just seeing the same thing everywhere.
1: Can I yeah. ask you, when you were visiting churches, was there something you were looking for that was the thing where you're like, I would know if there was something a little healthier here, if I could just find a church that did this?
2: That list grew longer as time went on. One of the first things was a high high accountability for leadership. Mm-hmm. Most past, most churches don't have high accountability for leadership. Or they any. pretend that they do, but they don't. Or mm-hmm. any. Yes. Yeah. So high accountability where the congregants also get to hold leadership accountable. So I was looking for that. Do you know how many churches are there? Like Apparently, at least in two years, you were like, didn't find it. Wow. I didn't. I didn't. I, I did bad- find oh, sorry. I did find a couple, and there were LGBTQ affirming churches. Mm-hmm. And I wasn't yet.
1: Mm.
2: So I had to wrestle with that a lot. And then the, the next thing that I was looking for was no hierarchical like a commitment to dismantle hierarchy inside of the church. So those two things are mainly the reason I don't go to church and I decided
0: to just start a church in my living room, which is just my living room. It's not, you know, <laughs> I want to back up though. You were miserable. You were inside the church and you were miserable. And I don't think that is an uncommon experience it at all. You know, and that's why it's so important. As Christy and I work with people to heal and to grow, and part of part of that with both of our work is connecting to that intuition, because I believe that's your connection with God, Emmanuel, God in us. And that's what I find is it's yeah. it's, it's like a it's a system. That's why you're dismantling it, built to disconnect you from the God within you. Yeah. By these means that you're dismantling.
2: Yeah. Because uh, this is the thing systems of oppression thrive if they keep us in trauma cycles, yeah, because people in trauma cycles are not are in a, are unable to think completely rationally, completely clearly because the whole time we are just trying to defend ourselves to protect ourselves, mm-hmm. you know our trauma keeps us protecting ourselves, so the church's um, grip on people because they want they want to have a grip on people is fear based yeah the church's grip on people only works so long as people are. Deeply traumatized, and what's traumatizing them is the religion, it's, it's these toxic beliefs you know, these beliefs that you're not good enough, you're not doing enough. God is disappointed. But just the notion that your sin killed a man, that he had to die for you, that alone is deeply traumatizing, especially for children.
1: Mm-hmm.
2: So, from the get go, we get traumatized into believing that God is disappointed that God needs more of us, that we're not good enough. So it keeps us in trauma cycles dependent on the church. Uh, and the church then becomes a coping mechanism, but not a healing space. Yeah. So that, that's the <sighs> importance of dismantling it because we need healing spaces. We don't need coping mechanisms. Coping mechanisms are good and they serve for a season, but they cannot become the only thing. we Like we have to evolve past them.
1: I've never. Think
0: that's, oh
1: yeah. Go ahead, Serena. No, go ahead. I was going to say, I've never actually heard it articulated in that way, that the church, a toxic church, is actually like a an ill-conceived coping mechanism for our trauma, basically. Yeah, and you
2: know what happens is we have low-level coping, high-level coping. A lot of people that come to the church come from places of low-level coping. So they are dealing with alcoholism, they are dealing with co- like deep codependency, really harmful behaviors to cope with their trauma. And then the church says, we can help you.
1: Yeah, we got we can it. Help
2: you. There's we got one it.
1: answer. Here it is. Mm-hmm. Here <laughs> it know?
2: is. So they, le- they switch their coping mechanism and church becomes now high level coping, more acceptable coping. And we all say, you are better. No, they're not yeah. better. They are just coping in a different
0: way. Mm. And I love how you say it's not a safe place because we can only heal in safe places. And this is the mm-hmm. reason I left the church is because people come in thinking, right, it's a hospital. situation where oh my soul hurts i can go in there and it's safe and i can heal and so i would watch people and i did it myself open themselves up and be re-traumatized worse and and you go to this place thinking oh these people love me this is safe god is here and you become you you make yourself vulnerable under that pretense and then you get damaged yeah and i just it was people coming
2: with deep family trauma so these spaces where they tell you we're your family now
1: mm-hmm.
2: to just get re-traumatized by their new family which hurts yeah. that much harder because it's it's trauma upon trauma
1: it
0: is. you know i
2: was i had family trauma my family is wonderful but also unhealed people you know yep. normal so i move all the way to the united states to escape my inability to create boundaries with my family because i don't know if you know much about latin families but we're not good at boundaries um <laughs> And I didn't know how to set boundaries as a twenty year old. I didn't know how to set boundaries. So That's a pretty my, good one. Go in my twenty different. in my in my brain, I was like, I just need to leave this country. These people are not gonna let me have boundaries with them. So I did. I left the country. And I didn't do that all consciously. I know that now,
1: you yep. know. Yeah.
2: So I leave the country to have this family that told me we are your family. And the moment I had questions, they let me go. And
1: mm-hmm. they,
2: they lied about me. Yeah. They mistreated me. They abused mm-hmm. me. And that was so deeply hurtful and, and wound, I, it was, I was just deeply wounded by that because I treated them like family. I believed that they were my family, but they, it was not, they, they didn't.
1: Well, you were showing up for your healing. And in that space, all of a sudden you're like, Oh, the, until the, you know, whatever is removed from your eyes, you don't even realize it's happening again in a different way. Right.
0: We we just switched coping mechanisms. Like we were talking about. Yeah. We had a church we went to for seven years and then we stopped because of, you know, those same similar situations. We left, we stopped going one Sunday, and there was one person that we'd been going seven years to this congregation and it was small, like everybody knew each other, there was no way of yeah. getting lost. And one person called us both it's the pastor. So common you just get cut off and it's this huge rejection yeah. and then you're also treated like you're the bad one you're the sinner you left you're backsliding, right. you're you know all those things that you're Which, talking about
2: shouldn't leaving churches be encouraged like people sh- we should go into all the earth <laughs> shouldn't shouldn't we encourage these you know i was a, i was a pastor i was here when we planted that church mm. i moved to the city to plant that church I was here from the get-go everybody knew me everybody three people didn't leave me three and it costed them a lot
1: yeah
2: it costed them their community too
1: oh my god because you're indoctrinated indoctrinated you're either in or you're out out. and if if that person's out they're tainted they're now the thing that will potentially taint you as well now you're gonna lose god as well if you're in community with them
0: you speak about fear Mm -hmm. the fear Co- you say community as a commodity. Can you talk about that? Community used as the thing to keep you, like the carrot.
2: Y- yes, uh, belonging. Yeah, you know, belonging to community. Belonging is so. All of us humans, we have a deep need for community. It's it's a basic need. We we are human beings that need one another we cannot exist without one another we need one another and there are plenty of studies on that you know i don't know if you've seen the study of the babies that weren't touched
1: yeah and, mm-hmm. and what it
2: does what it did to their brain what it did to their development we need one another we have this deep need for belonging and that deep need for belonging belongs becomes this need for acceptance inside of communities when we are not you know when we don't have the the tools to understand what belonging means and what it looks like so it's easy for the church to dangle belonging because we are so deeply in need of it. Mm. And the way that they dangle belonging is by saying you belong so long as you abide by our acceptability rules. These are the 24 acceptability rules that we have. And so long as you abide by them, then you belong. And we are so hungry for belonging that we accept this, not realizing that by belonging to this community that told us that we have to deny ourselves to belong to them, we stop belonging to ourselves altogether. you know? So they, they strip us from our belonging to ourselves, which is the primal, most important belonging we have, And we don't belong anywhere, if we don't belong first to self. Uh, if we cannot show up as ourselves, then I don't really belong. What I belong is an illusion of, of me. What you told me to be is what belongs, but me, the true self, you don't want her. You actually told me I don't get to be her to belong. But we are so deeply hungry to belong that we deny ourselves, that we say, I'll just fit in your boxes so long us. You don't remove acceptability. You don't remove belonging from me. Churches do do, do that very well. And, and, and Christian families, unfortunately, you know.
1: You so belong Joe, to our family so long us. Joe, where is that church, the one that lets us show up, as ourselves and learn about being in relationship with God on our own terms together with other people learning about it on their terms. Where is that if she church?
0: wants your address? To-
1: I'm pretty much gonna come to your <laughs> living room is what I'm saying.
2: <laughs> You're welcome to my living room anytime. We have dinner and talk and sometimes we talk about silly things, which is part of being in community. But the church is within. Yeah.
1: Yeah.
2: That church is within.
1: It's really hard to find that community as backstory, Joe, I grew up um, Mormon actually in Utah. And so Mormon's a very specific brand Mm -hmm. of Christianity. Actually, most other flavors of Christianity say it's not Christian. And so much like you, when I left the Mormon church, I also then was like, well, to be totally done with this, I better leave the state. So I moved to Washington state because boundaries are a lot easier when you're, as you know, as you know, miles away. But when I left the Mormon church, because in the Mormon church, you're raised that it's the one, the only way to God Mm -hmm. is through this one church in this Mm -hmm. one way. I thought, okay, if I'm going to leave it, then I'm done. Like I had to leave God behind. So I think Mm -hmm. a lot of people that aren't in a pastoral role where they've really wrestled with scripture or their connection to God as a separate thing from the church, when they leave, it's like, it's yeah. like a clean cut. So for me, I thought I left God behind. It was almost like I'm in or I'm out. Well, I'm, I'm out then. I can't do this. So I must yeah. be out. And it took years to realize that, oh, oh, it was just the people and the culture that I was yeah. leaving and not it's actually just the
2: expression God. of faith, but not, yeah.
1: So I didn't even realize. So it was like, you know, this idea of like church shopping or like figuring it out. It was like, okay, sweet. So, Now that I realized, okay, God's still here. It's still available to me, even if I don't do that church. I started going around. And then I realized every one of these have their own little, they've got a language that you have to learn so that you fit in, got to talk like them. They have their little rules and that at first, let's kick that trauma back in. I know how to fit in. I know how to do these rules, but if I do these rules better than I did those other rules, I'll finally be worthy of all that mm. God represents. So that's why when I ask you, where's that church? I still don't know how to find enough people to belong with in that way where we can openly talk about that in the yeah. community where I live. So I guess that means yeah. I must, must need to plant it in my living room. But
2: <laughs> that, That's the reason we called it the living room. Not because we think people need to come here. And actually we discourage that. So we're a great business plan uh, where we say don't come because um, we discourage that. We want the people in our life, our actual literal neighbors, you know, we, we check on our neighbors. We know each other. Our neighbors back behind us just had twin babies and we checked on them. We said, what do you need? How can we help? Our neighbor two doors down is a older woman whose husband died two years ago and she comes over all the time. We check on her. My kids go and check uh, on Auntie Wen. And we know who lives around us because being the church means being present in the, in your community, being the safe space, you accepting every single person that comes into your life as they are and becoming. The reason I'm still a Christian is because I love the notion of the Christ. Yeah. And because the notion of the Christ saved my life. Because the Christ is divinity within, right? It's the ability to become God in the world that we are because Jesus was an iteration of the Christ. Jesus wasn't the only Christ. So what does it mean to show up in the world as the Christ for others and be safe, be a safe space for people so that I am the church everywhere I step foot so that um, these communities are built because my living room is a safe space always. It doesn't matter who is in that place. My living room is a safe space always. So we call it the living room, not because we want people to come to our living room, but because I want to reclaim the notion of church as a place and more is just my space. I am the church, my living room, my life, my presence is the church and people should be able to be in my presence and be safe enough to heal here with me know that they belong to them and they belong to me too and we belong to each other not because we're pretending to be anything that we're not but because we are free to be who we are in each other's presence so so that's that's what we call the living room it's not very successful in (laughs) capitalistic terms but we are completely fine with that
1: well in dismantling things i feel like maybe that's the place to start not being very successful in capitalistic terms yeah
0: (laughs) What's mad what's you know, I, I've been really angry for a long time, and I've just been kind of healing out of just being angry and wanting to yell whenever I talk about this. Mm-hmm. But what your, the, that beautiful statement of what Christianity is that you just said, the fact that that doesn't fly, and that's what is being rejected, that's what's not allowed, that's what's shut out, is mind-boggling to me i mean but it's not they it's have not
1: blinders on they think they're doing it though right
0: yes and
2: that's why we have to dismantle white supremacy capitalism and patriarchy yes. because what is running through their theology is these systems of oppression i don't think people even realize how these systems of oppression are so deeply connected to christianity how christianity upheld them how christianity is there is part of the reason they exist capitalism was in part created by christianity the notion of a free market with an invisible hand that regulates the market that's all christian talk that's all christian people talking about these things you know because it doesn't regulate it it only serves because it says capitalism has this invisible hand and it protects the market It, it, it regulates the market and the ones that are supposed to survive survive and the ones that are not supposed to survive don't survive who survives the privileged it's not the ones that are not supposed to or are supposed to it's the privilege those are the ones that survive because mcdonald's survived against all the little small shops and it destroyed them walmart did too but it wasn't because of god's or this invisible hand that regulates the market it had nothing to do with that but their belief is well god's grace is upon us he chose us and so our business grows and your business doesn't which means you just need to work harder because in capitalism you just work hard and then you get what you want. We know that's a lie. Yeah. We all know that's a lie. But they keep they keep spinning these stories. And they believe them because we are all swimming in capitalism. You know, white supremacy started, the, the notion of race started with the Catholic Church. Race is a construct, is an invention, doesn't it? You know, there is no biological facts behind the notion of race. But the Christian Church, the Catholic Church, which... Christians like to wash their hands and be like, well, Catholics are not Christians. Okay, okay. well, where do you think you come from? Um, they invented this notion. And therefore, white supremacy came and therefore racism, you know, and therefore we're here. And this idea that we are superior than, that we need to go, we found this land and it's beautiful and it is the land of milk and honey and God gave it to us because we are the chosen people. And these people need to subject themselves to us and believe in us and and do what we say and live their life as we say they should live their lives. Because showing your breasts if you're an indigenous woman is absolutely despicable to God. But somehow murdering and raping them is not. Right. You know, so... White supremacy was invented by the church in a way, you know, all of it is there. All the little threads are there. And patriarchy, I don't even think I have to get into that. I mean, patriarchy is all in Christianity. They've upheld it. They support it. They think it's good. They believe in it. If we are not able to dismantle all of these things from this faith, which I actually think is what Jesus was trying to do. Yeah,
1: totally. Yeah. Absolutely.
2: He, he was not saying, hey guys, everybody should be like me and, and behave like me and become me. We just need many Jesuses in every corner of the world. That's not at all what he was saying. What he was saying is, you guys, this isn't working. We need to dismantle yeah. the systems of oppression at present so that people may be free, so that people may engage and encounter divinity whatever it is that that means for them. And he wasn't specifically talking about Jewish people. He wasn't even, like, he didn't care how everybody else was engaging because that's on them. That's why I don't talk about any other religion or, you know, mm-hmm. because that they will dismantle the things they need to dismantle, but I need to dismantle the thing that I'm a part of.
1: Mm-hmm.
2: It's my responsibility. I upheld it for so long, I, it's, my, it's my job now. So I think that's what Jesus was trying to say, you know, like, hey, this isn't good.
0: And I think of often, you know, he said, You guys you guys dangle the keys to the kingdom for everybody to come and you're not even getting in. You know, and to I me know. that's like exactly what it is. It's this like we know how to get to heaven and you know, I'm not gonna judge if they're going or not, but that is not the way. That on that conditional love and that system and that programming and if you slip up you're bad. And really with Christy and I as healing comes from embracing all of you, like you're saying, Mm -hmm. coming back to yourself and you have a church that's despising parts of you and despising parts of every human because there's nobody in that church who's actually perfect or doing all the things they're pretending to do. And so it's, we find, I find, Christy, I won't speak for you, but I think we've had this conversation The people that hate themselves the most and it's hardest to heal have been part of that system that has taught them to hate themselves. It
1: yeah. was shocking when I first started working with clients who were still deeply entrenched how hard it was for them to love themselves
0: and yeah. trust they could hear god.
1: Yeah.
2: Well they, they that's the indoctrination, right? Cuz yeah. if you get if you separate people from themselves then you're able to manipulate them because they are in trauma bond. Like they are in trauma cycles. Just a- afraid of themselves at all time because What Christianity teaches us all is we can't trust ourselves because we are, at the end of the day, sinners.
0: And I think Christy and I, as white women, have an even bigger responsibility, like you're saying. I mean, for me, I feel very responsible as part being in the church for 15 years and also, you know, perpetrating this system. But I think as white women, we also have that responsibility to have this conversation and do our part with the white supremacy part of it right that you know and we see this all the time we're gonna we have all we're gonna go help these people in other countries and we're gonna go help and I we don't say savage but it's still there the idea is still there you know and I was reading about all of the indigenous people my mom was adopted and we didn't know until last year her heritage so we thought maybe we were indian and we th- and she she knew tons and tons of native americans were put up for adoption and it's still happening yeah because they were viewed as savages and not able to raise their children as well as we you know white people could
2: and you, you know that this happens inside of even the, the not just the foster care system but um cps in general yeah because of implicit biases of the social workers if a white family is doing something and a brown, black family, Asian family is doing the same thing, they are more lenient toward white family because the the implicit bias is they know how to parent. These other people don't know how to parent. They just don't. I have a good friend who's working really hard at dismantling all of these things inside of the social work world. And she tells me there there are social workers that are like, they speak to their kids in Spanish. Like that's just not good for them. Wow. Wow. (laughs) <laughs> this implicit biases you know like they are not setting them up for success they're going to go to school and like what are you going to do with their English they'll learn they'll fi- they're fine yeah we all learn. Amazing. I, I yeah. speak I, I did I figured it out
1: yeah
0: and these are the things you know the last couple of years that I've really been looking at because I would say oh I'm never I'm not racist of course I'm not racist I have you know black friends I like black people but these systems I've absolutely perpetrated without right. any idea that that I that I was doing it in those, you know, in those ways where we just have ideas and we don't question them and we don't think about them. Yeah. But how we're looking at people, what we're avoiding, what we're inviting, who we're hiring, where we're moving, like all of these things are happening, whether we're thinking about them or not. And Obviously, right now we're in this space of everyone, a lot of people getting educated, a lot of people getting informed right and yeah. in educating ourselves but what i'm finding joe that's breaking my heart is the christians are the most racist people in my facebook feed and i and you're saying of course they are that's the system <laughs> that was it, what it was designed for and that blows my mind
2: because even more. Chris- christianity keeps you in your subconscious mind mm-hmm. you know you don't have to worry that's why i say christianity keeps you in mature.
0: Well, that's you don't hypnotism. have to worry.
2: You're hypnotized. Yeah, 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 you don't have to. You don't have to worry. And also, you are waiting for your savior. That's what immature people do. Wait for a savior. Mm. Then they don't have to do it themselves. <laughs> but when Jesus comes, when you all become Christians, when when all these things, everything will be well. The problem is not racism. The problem is not systemic racism. The problem is not institutional racism. The problem is that you don't have Jesus. When Jesus comes to your life, then you know, waiting for the savior. That's what that's what kids do, right? Kids don't. That's, that's immaturity. Well,
0: that's what women in abusive relationships <clears throat> do. They're waiting for a savior.
2: Yeah. yeah. And that so until we are able to say, no, this is on me. This is on us. I have to take responsibility for the community that I live in. Uh, I have to understand the part that I play, and I have to understand how to stop playing that part. I have to dismantle my own biases and start living consciously. It's it's becoming aware. And I, I think that's actually more akin to salvation, that what the Christian church teaches is salvation. Salvation is becoming aware and embodying everything that you are completely and fully, being able to show up in the world as yourself. yourself you know that's why the notion of being born again is not so much oh I was dunked into water and now I'm a Christian and now I'm born again but it's more I am unearthing the divinity within that had been oppressed by all of these systems for so long I don't even know who I am and I'm learning who I am and becoming that person and stepping into those shoes completely Uh, and that's becoming conscious becoming aware But it's easier, especially for traumatized people. And we all are traumatized people because white supremacy, patriarchy, capitalism are trauma, complex trauma. Mm
1: -hmm.
2: So for traumatized people, it's easier to just shut it out and go into your subconscious brain and keep playing the game that they set up for you to play. You know? Well,
1: and the carrot, part of the carrot is if you come and you, you know, belong here, the pain will go away. Jesus took mm-hmm. the pain for you. It's this idea that living isn't supposed to be you know, a gut-wrenching struggle
2: Yeah,
1: because that, that's the beauty of it. Like, oh, yeah. I can feel that pain so that I know someone else's pain. So that's where a lot of this idea that what I've noticed in my you know, social media feed is that there's a lot of people that are just saying, but I'm a good person. And I'm like, because it's too uncomfortable for them to think otherwise because if then what have they been doing all these years while they right. were going to church on Sunday and raising their kids based on, you know, the radio program that says here are the six basic rules and, and you need to instill obedience in them.
2: Yeah. That's,
1: That's why I don't painful. like saying
2: we are, you're racist. I don't think people are racist because that is, it's easy to wash your hands off of that. I'm not done. I'm not Okay, cool. Whatever. Um, I like to say we live in a racist society. And because we live in a racist society, we all participate in racist behavior.
1: We've been marinated in it. Yeah. It's it's the flavor that we've steeped in.
2: Mm -hmm. Yeah. So now what are you going to do? Because you cannot say I haven't been in this society. You have. So what are you going to do now? Because okay, you're not racist. Sure. However, we have been indoctrinated and we have been uh, conditioned by a racist society, by racist systems. So what are you gonna do now to dismantle those systems?
1: What do you say when someone, so me, I show up in the living room, whether it be in person or, and I'm like, okay, Joe, I'm a white woman and I'm showing up and I'm gonna, you know, make sure that I'm energetically exchanging for your labor here, what do I do?
2: I ask a lot of questions mostly.
1: Which I think is the job of
2: a pastor, which I think we all are pastors, by the way. Uh, I don't think pastor is is, this role. I think we all are pastors. We, you know, parents are pastors, doctors are pastors, psychiatrists are pastors, psychologists are pastors. Everybody's a pastor, social workers, pastors. Um, So I think that pastors is something we do. And I think that the role of a pastor is to ask enough questions so that people can access the answers within. Yeah. That's it's beautiful. so it's so hard to it's so hard to see it sometimes it's so difficult sometimes so that's why we need community too you know that's why I believe the church is important and by the church I mean me yeah. um, so that I can ask the right questions to help you hear what is already there you already have the answers you already know everybody does my my job as a pastor is just to help you get to the answers I have no idea what those are by the way. Mm -hmm. I may just ask you questions and you may end up being like, I need to move. I need to move to New Guinea. Um, Okay, cool. Like, like, that's wonderful. I wouldn't have gotten there, but, you know, but this belief that the pastor is the one that controls your life and tells you what to do. Well, that's not it. I have, I have wisdom within. I don't need you to tell me anything. Yeah. What I need you is to help me hear the wisdom because sometimes because of my trauma, because of the pain, because of my conditioning, because of anything, I can't hear it.
0: Think I, I had a client you that said Go ahead. I had a client said they were unhypnotized, like working, yeah. right? The awareness is to get like what you're saying, unhypnotized so you're conscious, so you know what's going on, so you yeah. see the the thing that you're swimming in, right? You yeah. see the water. Yeah. And
2: once you see it.
0: You can't unsee it.
2: No, and you yeah, freak there out because <laughs> you see more and more. And
0: you're like, "These it's goes for miles. I was yes. just mad for years. Yeah. <laughs> well,
1: This is the part of community, right? Doing this with someone so that when you get to that place where you're like, where it hits you, where you have the, the visceral experience of seeing something that has been invisible to you, someone's there with you just in that weight of that moment with you so that you can heal it. And
2: I I talk about also the the anger, you know, Mm -hmm. once you, the first, when you see it, the immediate feeling is anger, not, not just anger for you because you feel like you were lied to and you're so angry that they lied to you. You're also angry for everything else.
0: And then it's still happening. It's like today. And they they refuse to see it. It's still happening. And and we have to make room for the anger,
2: you know, and, and because Christians are not very good with emotions. Um so yeah. just re- like helping <laughs> Let's people say that again like, christians, yes, <laughs> christians are not very are not good with emotions. <laughs> emotions. there is there is one emotion two actually gratefulness and joy
1: yeah well
2: that's not helpful and if you're out of that lead. you don't
1: have god you right. must not you need to pray right. more you need to read the bible more
2: but some, somehow they don't read the, the parts where jesus flips tables and makes yeah. whips and says really mean like he curses uh, mm-hmm. religious leaders because the the language isn't even pretty, it's it's very colorful language. Um, but you know, making room for it, you're angry, and perhaps the most healing thing right now for you is to let that anger be. Yeah. Let that anger lead you. Learn to learn to listen to the anger too. But
0: it's trying to tell you, it's, yeah, yeah, because it is, yeah, it our... is
2: speaking to you. Mm. You know. That's why I say pain. The the theology of suffering inside of Christianity is terrible. Like suffering is always good because God will bring a testimony from it. Kind of notion. That's terrible. It's horrible. That's, that's abuse. Like you know, that's and just grooming is, and abuse.
0: It's gr- but, like you you have a part on your on your Instagram page where you compare that where you know the an abusive husband or an abusive person in the church and it's identical behaviors you just said grooming and denying your feelings oh you don't feel that oh you just need to pray more or don't be angry Um, god hates mm -hmm. anger or whatever it is don't let the sun go down in on your anger and it's like the anger is extremely justified (laughs) yeah
2: but then that's why you have to help people understand the theology of suffering is violence the theology of suffering is abuse however pain leads you pain Mm. is good It tells you where something is broken. It tells you, you know, if you don't feel pain, then you don't know what's wrong. You don't know what's broken. Suffering, though, it's oppression and misery, and you don't have to accept it. Because they tell you pain is good, so accept suffering. No. No, pain is good because it leads me to healing. I don't have to accept suffering. Suffering is something I reject. That's really don't. I don't have to sit with suffering because it's good. No, pain, pain. And that's different. And that—that's the problem of help of making people disassociate from their feelings.
0: Mm-hmm. Then
2: they don't know they are not listening, and they just go with suffering is good. Okay, then I'll sit here in my abuse because God yeah. will use this.
0: Because you're a woman, you're never going to get promoted. You're a minority. You're never going to get that position. It doesn't matter how qualified you are. That's the suffering. You're the wife, you're, and you're, you just have to do what the he wife says, and you just have to go along. You—you you get to work long hours without getting. Uh, compensated you get to not be invited to the in crowd you get your family left behind with you know social you know needs or anything in the church if you're not with the in crowd you don't get provided for I mean those are the real abuses that are happening all the time and and tons more yeah and these abuses win yeah
2: Yeah. and these abuses these systems of oppression win
1: the moment we internalize them yeah and And they become the story
2: yeah and they become the narrative that we live our lives through
1: where are you seeing the most movement on these lines? Have you noticed a change? I mean, there's lots of momentum right now. Hopefully we can, we need to do what, we, what needs to happen to sustain it. But even before that, where are you noticing the light coming through, this, this crack and the idea that people are starting to recognize the toxic nature think, of Christianity?
2: I think the notion of trauma, uh, which is rather new,
1: it is Um, yeah
2: has been really helpful for for people you know because they didn't even know religious trauma is a thing they didn't even know trauma was a thing first you know nobody this is just the way the world works we all suffer it's fine um but people like we didn't even comprehend that trauma is a thing and what it does to our bodies and you know how we carry it Um, biologically how we carry it all the way to the cellular level we carry this pain and this trauma through generations yeah and I think that understanding those notions has started to open people's eyes to wait trauma that's what I have and I and and not only that because we were told that's just the way it is and there's nothing to do but we can heal we Mm -hmm. actually can heal and understanding that wait trauma is sure something we all have but we, it doesn't mean that we just have to shrug our shoulders and be like, those are the cards that we were dealt. But there is a, there is a path where we could heal. I, I think that that has given us all the ability to say, I could do, it's what I call heaven on earth. Um, we could create this. We could create heaven on earth. It's possible. It's not an impossibility anymore. It was, you know, 40 years ago, 50 years ago. It was like, there's nothing we can do. There's always going to be hungry people. But now we can say, no, there doesn't have to be. Because if we collectively heal our trauma, if we and healing our trauma means healing from the trauma of white supremacy, capitalism, patriarchy, and systems of oppression. If we collectively heal from that trauma, stop trying to be accepted, stop letting our insecurities lead us, we can create heaven on earth. Mm-hmm. We can. We absolutely can. And I think it was Angela Davis who said it. I may, I may be misquoting... The person but i think it was angela Davies who said that imagination is a huge part of the resistance because if we can't <laughs> imagine it then we can't create it
1: that's beautiful so
2: it is black women are a gift to the world she said we have to imagine this world we have we have to we have a responsibility because imagining it is the beginning of creating it mm. but if I, we are sitting in these spaces where it's like it's impossible defeating defeatist, you know
1: you're at the level um, of the problem, not at the level yeah. of the solution. Yeah.
2: And then you and then you have to just be like, what is the best that I can do within the system? So you give yourself into capitalism mostly. It's it's the black men that uphold patriarchy while they are fighting racism.
1: Mm-hmm. Hmm.
2: Because they aren't imagining something better. They are just imagining how to survive. Yeah. And patriarchy allows for that. You know, it's the white women that hold on to white supremacy but are fighting against patriarchy rich people yeah so we we have to just heal the 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 job the work is to heal that's the work the work is not to i will be the savior and end white supremacy in the world you heal that's the work you heal because healed people encourage others and are safe spaces and if we're safe spaces that means that we are healing agents
1: well, we expand other people's reality. If, if Christy can heal and find God again, if Serena can heal, if Joe can come out of toxic Christianity and heal that wound in herself and be checking on her neighbors and mm-hmm. showing up as the Christ in her neighborhood, in her home, oh, I could maybe do that too.
2: Right. And then you, you said it, we can only heal in safe spaces. If we all become safe, then the accessibility to safety grows. Mm. Oh, gosh. You know, imagine healed teachers all over, healed therapists all over, healed parents all over. We're healing, we are healing the world as we become healed because we expand the accessibility to safe spaces.
1: Joe, we could talk to you for hours. (laughs) I want to know more about the work you're doing with the living room. Mm Mm-hmm.
2: Basically, I do it mostly online. Because like I said, the work I do in my living room is for my immediate community. Yep. So I'm deeply involved with my neighbors in my daughter's school, uh, which is actually really exciting work. We could talk about that working with the school as a parent to change the system as a parent, not as a teacher.
0: We have to have you on again.
2: You know, that's my work in my real life. Mm-hmm. Now online, because yeah. I, I love social media. I know people don't like that. I love it because it gave us access to more more accessibility we get to safe to meet spaces. You. Yeah, yes, here amazing. we are. Yeah, yeah, accessibility to. So, mm-hmm. Yeah, you just have to be intentional about social media. A lot of the work is that I do for the living room is how do I help? How, how does my work help you as a tool to become a living room in your life to become a safe space, a place where people can sit and breathe? Um, so that's that's basically the work that I do, which means naming white supremacy, naming patriarchy naming trauma religious trauma because when pe- when I name it people are able to recognize themselves in it you know most most of the time people say I had never seen what you said but I, I knew yeah that I wrote was my it, experience I was like oh that's
0: it like you just gave me the the, the word the language where- mm-hmm. yes exactly and you were able and to the clarify the feel and heal like you're mm-hmm. saying you gave you gave a space because yeah. you gave the words yeah yeah
2: I think. Well, there's Part of, sorry, part of um, being a safe space is understanding what are things that I can handle, what are um, basically grenades that I can handle, and standing in front of those who can't handle those grenades Mm. and saying, I'll take them so that they don't have to. Uh, I can handle a lot of religious grenades just because of my training. You can. (laughs) Yeah, because of my training and because I have a lot of Bible training and a lot of, you know, studying. So a pastor says something to me. I'm like, you're lying. You're lying. I know you're lying. Here, I can prove it to you. So I can handle the grenades, but a lot of people with religious trauma cannot, which means that I feel that it is helpful for me to stand and say, I'll take the grenades for you so that you have the tools when the grenades come to be able to repel them. Yeah. Um, So if somebody
1: wants to find out more about your work, where would they find more of this goodness? uh,
2: I speak a lot on. Uh, I write a lot on Instagram. That's how this whole thing started. I just wanted to journal out loud, and then it became a thing. Uh, so Instagram is where I write most of my thing. I also have a Facebook page where I kind of post everything that I posted on Instagram, and then on Twitter, I'm just myself, and I uh, have my like angry rants and sassy moments. So you know, <laughs> That's so have, Twitter
1: of you. <laughs> yeah,
2: I had someone tell me that. Uh, Facebook is Florida is the Florida of social media and Instagram is LA you know everybody just looks very well put together but Twitter is New York and nobody cares
1: so (laughs) that's a really good analogy I love that
2: so I'm very New York in Twitter and I uh, we have a living room it's livingroomsd.com, the website and I am I'm I'm currently changing all the content in it because when I when we created it we were a little bit less decolonized than we are now so a lot of things have changed which happens Yeah, Um, But we do have the website there and I have a patron uh, for anybody that wants to work with me, you know, more Mm one-on-one.
1: Absolutely. I
0: I think the biggest safe thing that I love about you is you're inviting us to change and you're saying the things you've participated in. You're not pointing a finger from this place of self-righteousness. You're saying, here, our website needed help. It used to yeah. have problems. I used yeah. to be in this system. And I think that's the safety is when we own our own shadow and then yeah. every, everybody else is free to own theirs. This mm-hmm. isn't a space where I'm right and you're wrong. It's we're all growing together. And I appreciate that. I thank you for sharing that about yourself because you don't have to. Right. No,
2: I, I, that's why I don't delete um, Instagram posts. If you if you scroll all the way down, you will read problematic things. And that's okay, because I, I want people to see my evolution, you know, because I'm still evolving. Because in 10 years, I might just look back and be like, mm, I didn't understand that yet. You know, I was, I was that that's was
1: not- That's the work. That's what we're mm-hmm. called to do.
2: Yeah, I don't want to look perfect. Because that, that is a characteristic of white supremacy, by the way. I don't want to look perfect. I, I want to look- healed healed people admit they are not perfect you know i'm I'm evolving every day and changing my mind and on things is part of evolving
1: it's just so beautiful i joe i try not to ever say i wish i had known this sooner because you only know things when you know things but it's i have a con like i have this conversation with you and i was like oh i wish i could give this gift to christy of 10 years ago to be like here's joe you know, in 2020 and what she's saying, it's going to be okay. And there's yeah. going to be some things that happen, but you're you're just healing. Lovely. Yeah, me too.
2: I wish yeah. I could tell my 20-year-old self moving to America, do you want to listen to your 35-year-old self, 36 years old 37-year-old self? you know? But I yeah. wouldn't have my children and I wouldn't have married.
1: Yep. Yeah. And you wouldn't be here with us today. And no, we no, are exactly. so thankful that you are having this these words with people. I mean, that's what this is, words with people.
0: Mm-hmm. Where
1: are we? What, what is your story so that we can all see ourselves a little bit in your story as well?
2: Thank you. Thank you for opening up space to have conversations about what it looks like, what it means to heal um, from these, you know,
0: I love that narrative. you're not giving us that, you're not giving a to-do list other than healing because yeah. God within us will tell us what we need to do, right? Yes. That's really powerful. Uh,
2: Yeah. That's why I don't, my work is not with Christians. My work is with people. Ah. I don't care if your healing leads you to Christianity, a new version of Christianity. Cool. That's great. But if it leads you to atheism, that's fine. If it leads you to, you know, Baháí, that's fine. The, The work of healing leads you. I don't, I can't. So I go where you must.
0: It's wait, just so wait, 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 freeing. Wait, you're going to let God do it and you're not going to officiate it? Is this what you're telling me? <laughs> yeah. No No official stamp <laughs> from Joe?
2: No, I will. Right? Like, no, I will not hold God hostage in your life.
1: <laughs> oh, my gosh. That is such a visual. I feel mm-hmm. like God was always tied. It was like lashed to this thing that I felt like I didn't have access to. Yes.
2: Well, behind these walls that you, you didn't have the, the door. You couldn't open the door because you, you didn't. They were gatekeepers to God.
1: There were. My family wasn't the right kind of family. I belonged to the church, but my dad didn't belong to the church. So I, you know, oh, just can anybody play with her? I don't know. You don't know where she's going to go. It's a slippery slope living with someone who doesn't believe, you know,
0: right. these, the same
1: things. And what a, what a tightrope to walk to then as a child. And then as you get older to be like, where do I even fit in this Right. This organization.
2: Nowhere, right? I don't, and that, I don't fit here.
1: I had to leave, get so far away and do all the things you're not supposed to do. Meditate, you know, all these things that could let the devil inside you to finally be like, oh, there's God, like right there. Oh, that's always been in you. That's what that is.
2: And I think that we never talk about how healing your brain means doing the things That you were told we're going to harm you, yes, and realizing they didn't—that you're okay. We have your brain is like wait, yeah, (laughs) wait. You were told wait. What? You're
1: fine. Yeah, we do a thing called "fuck you" therapy sometimes with people. Excuse the cursing. Well, because it's a freeing word. If you've ever been had that word taken from you, or you know, the word has been given all this energy, but then you're able to use it, particularly with some something that's been abusive. You take all your power back in that moment yeah. because you're not a child anymore.
0: Breaking those rules. I,
2: okay. I don't know if you have time, but I'll, I'll tell you a quick story. And then um, and my mother-in-law, she's a very, very special, very quirky woman. And her, she, you know, she grew up very fundamentalist and Christian and all the things. And she raised her kids that way because that's what she thought was good. And at one point, she saw her daughter being just so very oppressed by – christianity she was like she drove her out of the town they lived in and said i need you to say fuck you and she was like mom no i need you to say it i need you to say it and she said i don't even know why i did that but something inside of her knew that her daughter needed to break out and break free you know and then the other thing i wanted to say is cursing is wishing ill upon another it's not saying fuck you
0: Mm. you know cursing
2: is wishing ill upon another and you don't even have to say the word to 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 curse
0: we could have a whole Uh, episode of you telling us what the words actually mean
2: (laughs) yeah (laughs) cursing means wishing ill upon another swearing means saying something and not being truthful Mm. so promising something but not doing it lying you know being deceitful Mm. that's what swearing means and using the lord names in vain is using god for self gain so empty religion
1: I just, full body chills, like, hey, by the way, that's happening. And it's in the name, this alleged name of.
2: But you guys are so shocked that I said, fuck you.
1: Yeah, yeah.
2: You've been cursing, swearing, and using the Lord's name in vain
0: every day, all the time. So fuck you. And our spirits know Mm -hmm. that. And it's when you say it and you live it that it gives other people permission to, Mm -hmm. to get back connected with their truth. I love it.
1: Well, you know, it's that whole idea. When you're in your power, you're a lot less... You're not controllable because you're in your power. You're going to be like, uh, yeah, actually, fuck you to that, to the patriarchy, to racial bias. Like, wh- you know, what is it this week? The white blessing or whatever the like, I mean, it's <laughs> just Lord like, have mercy. oh, like you. I see that. Well, and it's funny, I've told this to Serena, this idea of, you know, when you in a session that we do with someone, when you get to this part of there's been some abuse, some, some form of abuse or some form of trauma, and you, you have this dialogue with the thing or the person that's hurt you, and you use curse words, you, you actually get a voice in this moment. I'm like, this is what's happening in America. This is what a protest is. We're in the middle of healing right here. We have to let people have a voice. To come out. It's yeah. got to come out, or else if it yeah. doesn't, it's just going to continue to fester. And we have to listen. We have to actually listen without trying to co-opt it.
2: That's the yes. safe space. It's Absolutely. Possible. Yeah. It's hard work. Uncomfortable, you know? Yeah. And it's moving into the unknown because we have no idea what's on the other side of these, And people are so afraid of the unknown. We like to control. Our, our own insecurities are like, no, 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 but we don't know what's going to happen. Okay, it's better than this, so. It's yeah.
0: heaven, heaven <laughs> is
2: going to happen. Yeah, exactly. We don't know what it's going to look like. And you certainly don't know what kind of power you're going to have. I'm going to tell you, none. Um, yeah but let it happen yeah, it's better yeah. for all of us we'll be better
1: well it's kind of that idea like i think about it you know you purge something in your house like you go in your basement you finally get rid of that thing that's just kind of been there that you thought you needed and you kept around for a while and now you have less you have less and you feel better the thing doesn't have power over you anymore and you actually then just feel better i'm like okay yeah. Take whatever this burden is we don't even realize we're carrying that we think we need. Let's get rid of it and see what it feels like afterwards. I think we might all be surprised that we all feel a hell of a lot better. (laughs) Yeah, because people don't realize that
2: every privilege you have, sure, it gives you privilege in the world, but you have it because you were taught to dehumanize groups of people in your brain, which means you dehumanize yourself by doing it. So we're not better by upholding them. Mm -mm. We're made worse, quite literally, less human.
1: The most impactful thing that I have learned in the last month is there's this man called, his name is Resma Menicum. I'm not sure if you know who he is. And he deals with racialized trauma. It's his work that he does. And he talks all about the work we are needing to do is in our own bodies, which is what we've been talking about. This mm-hmm. idea of trauma exists in us. And um, when I hear him say that we need to sit with that the impact. He says you walk as a white person, he's a black man, as a white person, walk into a space with brown or black people and actually check in with your body. What's your body reaction and learn that about yourself so you can heal it. Because otherwise we're just ignoring all these things that have been passed down generationally that we don't even know are happening on a physiological level. And I'm like, oh, this is such a visceral healing we're about to go through.
2: Yeah, all and that's what brave. happens in your body because of biases.
1: Yes. But
2: imagine what happens in our body because of evidence. Yes. Because I have evidence that white people are violent against mm-hmm. me every day. You know, I go to the park and white women always tell me how to parent.
1: Oh, God. Every time.
2: It's, it's very obnoxious. Uh. I have evidence. Black people have evidence that you're violent. So we have to check in our bodies I I, ha- I get a D- I get DMs from pastors now, and some of them are well known. What my body does when that happens, the fear I feel: you're going to be violent towards me, you're going to try to hurt me. They don't like some of them just want to ask questions, but but I have evidence that that's not how you've engaged with me historically. Mm-hmm. So all of us have to be so mindful,
1: and I am right to feel yes that way absolutely. Well and. Uh, Mr. Menicom even says he, when he does these, when he does workshops, he does not smash. He says the word smash. And I I think it's very, a good descriptor, white bodies and brown and black bodies together to do the work. White bodies need to be doing the white body work. And he has to create the safety for the brown and black bodies. And when I heard that, I was like, this is why as we listen to, and I've been listening to black women because there's the voices ju- it's like, there's more, there's more residents, Residence there for me in this moment. They're telling us white women do this work. Don't yeah. do our work. We're doing it really well. Yeah. Get out good. of our work. Yeah. Go do your work you've been avoiding. Yeah. And the work
2: that I'm doing with the school, with the, my girls, school, that was one of the first things I said. I said, white parents are absolutely welcoming to these. And we want them doing this work too. However, well, we have to set boundaries. And the first boundary is white parents don't talk. Mm-hmm. They have to sit and listen. And if they cannot, they can't be here. how know it Bad. You know how white people, <laughs> white people As don't we like interrupt that. interrupt you. <laughs> <laughs> white people don't like it. They don't like that. They don't like when, they, when you tell them stop and listen because you haven't listened. You haven't.
1: Because it's unfamiliar.
2: Yeah. you, you weren't you, you trained ha- you, to do that. As I interrupt no, no. you again. It's, so it's like, no, it's this conversation. But yeah, I, you know, that was the boundary. White people are, white families are welcome, but they can't speak. And then we can have other workshops where there's white, you know, where we're working with white families where they can speak and ask their questions and do all the things. But when we're talking about racial, making the school a safe space for everybody, when we're talking about that and the ones leading it are families of color, white parents need to sit down and listen. You don't get to speak. You don't get to teach. You don't get to lead these. And they don't like it. They don't like it.
0: They interrupt you or do they leave?
2: No, they, uh, the school is very good. So we've, you know, they,
1: they just don't like it. Like you can tell they
0: don't like it. You can like just it. tell. They're <laughs> squirming. Can... They're having
1: the, the physical. Re- is this a public school or a private school?
2: It's a charter, which okay. I know charters are problematic too. But um listen, I needed my girls to go to a school that was diverse. I don't live in a diverse neighborhood. And I didn't choose this neighborhood. I ended up here because it's a church. And I, I couldn't. I couldn't put my girls in a mm-hmm. 75% white neighborhood. So I went to a charter that is super diverse. But the leadership is all white. Super diverse though. Ethiopians, Argentinians, Ecuadorians, um, Nigerians, like lots of different Asian people too. It, I love the school. It's a really, really cool. And they, are, they want to yeah. do better. So and charters have a lot more wiggle room too.
1: Yep. Yeah, my sons went to a charter school for several years and it was interesting to see it as part of the public school system and then re-enter our neighborhood school in my area, which is the... I mean, I do not live in a diverse area. I live in the middle of Wisconsin right now. But to go to a school with like practically zero diversity, I was mm-hmm. like, oh, there's just no lessons. There's no, there's no experiential lessenings happening at a, yeah. for seven, eight, nine, 10 year olds. And that's a, a, a shame.
2: I know. I know it's, it's so my, my sister's a doctor and she just got matched to do her residency so she left me which is heartbreaking um, and I'm still grieving that she left Sunday and every day I'm like I can't do this <laughs> so she's she went she's in the Bronx and oh she wow was, she was so afraid that she was gonna get matched in Wisconsin or Nebraska, because she's Colombian. Her husband's Colombian. Her kids are Colombian. And she was like, my kids are going to be a minority. And I don't, I want them to, I mean, they are a minority, but they are going to be more so a minority. Mm -hmm. I want them to be in a diverse area. So she's in the Bronx and she was excited about that. Um, Just so far away from me. I was like, why couldn't you get matched in LA? I was going
1: to say, you can't actually, I don't know that you can get too much farther from each other and still be in the US.
2: (laughs) There is not, California has more California is harder to get matched for international students. So we knew California wasn't an option, but, but yeah, she was, she was telling me like, that was a big part of, yeah. I was hoping not to get because it it will be violence against my kids and my kids will become the ones that have to teach. And it's not fair. Kids should be kids. That's it.
1: I have this kernel of knowledge that just, it seems to be coming up in me that our kids are already better than we could ever be at any of this. They are. It, generationally, they're farther removed from, you know, I've healed. My dad right. healed a bit from his parents and on down the line. And, you know, hopefully they're, they're just born a bit more healed than I was. Right. But I just, if I get down, I just look at them and say, okay, what, what is, what's the goodness I can see in them right now that I can reinstill in myself? And that also keeps you going. Like how, what world do I want to build for them?
2: yeah oh, yeah. I think I wouldn't have deconstructed if I wouldn't have become a mom.
0: Wow. Yes, I agree. With four daughters watching it happen to them. That's when it was like, no, no more.
2: Mm-hmm. one of the one of the first questions I thought to myself when I was pregnant with my oldest was, "What if she's gay? <gasps> yeah. yeah. Who, who will I protect? Her? Right. Or my indoctrination? You know, I, I didn't have the words for that, but I kept thinking, what will I do? Will I ostracize her like I've seen many families do? Mm-hmm. Or we like go with her, we like stand against this church and be like, no, no. You know, and and I thought, and if and my answer was, I'll protect her.
1: <laughs> yeah,
2: every yes. time. And I said, and if I protect her, why haven't I been protecting them? Yes.
1: Why, well, why? then it comes back to why am I not protecting myself? Yeah, we're right. Yeah. So I was like, I. This is
2: not. But it was having a daughter. It was having someone that I care that I loved so much. Be like, hmm. I don't want this for them. Mm-hmm. I don't want this church for them. I don't want this life for them. I want better for them. And then, listen, my second daughter is a
1: gift to the world.
2: She is the most
1: <laughs> I feel like something's coming here. <laughs> I think we have
2: a couple of those in our family. <laughs> She's the most confident. Like, I don't care about anything. This is who I am. You know, she likes to wear different shoes. And she loves it. Like it it means something to them to wear different shoes. So I let her, I don't care. And she just wears, she's quirky and unique, but she embraces the quirkiness and uniqueness. And I watch her and I'm like, I won't be like you when I grow up. You are who I am supposed to become. There's something about
1: second children that show up and they're like, by the way, (laughs) (laughs) watch out world. (laughs) Yeah, yes.
2: I I say to people often, she made me a mom. It was her who made me a mom. My first was really easy, cute baby. It was like a an accessory, you know? Mm-hmm. Also because of my interpretation. That's how I treated her, like, oh look at my cute baby. Because it was about me.
1: Yeah.
2: But then my daughter, my second one. And I was like, Oh gosh, this is what people talk about. Okay. Whew. Uh-
1: <laughs> <laughs> oh, Joe, thank you so, so much for joining us today. And I look forward to some something in the future that our paths will cross again in some way. So thank you for sharing your knowledge.
2: That's same. Thank you yes. so much for having me. For having me, and I'm, I'm excited to continue to build a relationship and get to know you guys, and you know, keep becoming safe spaces for people together.
0: And thank you. I just want to thank you for those grenades that you take because I can't imagine. I see some and I cringe and I'm like, this lady's got cojones. I. <laughs> <laughs> this is hard work, but. That you're doing that. You're, ele- you're creating that safe space, but it's costing you, right? And yeah. And thank you for that.
2: I, I read something a couple of days ago that broke my heart and it said, so long as we are walking into danger, we are not free. Mm. So I'm not free mm. until I don't have to take any more grenades. You know, so long as our work is to take grenades for others, which you guys do too, we're not free. So the work is to build a world where nobody has to. Yeah. So, but thank you. Thank you for acknowledging it though. It's really bad sometimes. Yeah. That's why I drink sangria and enjoy my children. And, <laughs> and take more kisses. take them to
1: bed. And take yeah. The more snuggling
2: kisses. is more for kisses. you too, more than yes. them. Yeah. Yes, it is <laughs> for sure.
1: When you painted the bedtime picture, actually, I have to say, like in my mind, it was like, that is God. Like that, there is the heaven right there in that moment yeah. where you take more kisses, where you read more stories, where you spend more time. Yeah. It's,
2: no, it's a, yeah. they They are, my kids are my
1: salvation too. Yep. Gray hair and salvation. That's what mine yes. <laughs> I, my Yes, Both. Ulcers yeah. and <laughs> all of the above. <laughs> yeah. Thank you again, Joe. This has been wonderful. And we encourage all of our listeners to join the conversation. What did you gain from this today? What do you know now that you didn't know before you listened to this? And how may you step out in front of a grenade that you're ready to take for someone else so that you can form the safe space around you thanks for listening have a good day thanks for listening if you liked what you heard please share it with your friends leave us a review subscribe so more people
0: can find us and if you want more information about me or christy there's a link to both of our websites in the show notes and we'll see you next time